welcome to the Cell Culture Dish podcast, Implementing Quality by Design for AAV Products. I'm Brandy Sargent, editor of the Cell Culture Dish. Joining me today is Parth Trivedi, Business Development Manager, Paul Corporation. Parth has 12 years of experience in the biotech industry. He has held multiple technical roles at Paul, including his latest one as a team manager, bioprocess specialist. He has gained expertise over downstream process development of drug modalities like viral vectors, nucleotides, antibodies, recombinant proteins, and small molecules. He has completed a master's of science degree in biotechnology from New York University and a bachelor's of technology degree in biotech engineering from JNTU, India. In a recent presentation, you laid out a framework for implementing a QBD strategy in AAV products. Could you talk a little bit about the importance of QBD, particularly as it pertains to regulatory? Sure. So the recent successful approvals that we saw in the past years, uh, especially with around gene therapy products, uh, that was absolutely encouraging for the industry. But in 2020, we also saw some of the clinical trials, they faced the regulatory setbacks. And one of the common reasons for these rejections primarily were found to be the lack of sufficient data in the chemistry, manufacturing, and controls documentation, uh, which we often call it also CMC documentations. It was more around the purpose to understand and interpret the data as well as implement the frameworks for these products, which were uh, unclear. And uh, that is where the area which led to us as Paul team to focus upon on this uh, strategy towards the QBD. And why is that? Is because the key aspect of the CMC documentation for the biological products is the application of quality by design principle. The QBD approach is very heavily based on the prior knowledge and the detailed understanding of both the products and the process variables. And especially in gene therapy, with the experience of our industry, uh, which is uh, increasing and has grown much better in past few years, but it is still limited compared to uh, past traditional drugs. And that, uh, of course, leaves us a space also to learn more about the overall process. And there's a space where we do see the opportunity to have this QBD implementation, which is uh, expected and known to be uh, more sophisticated more uh, understanding of the product and the process, thereby giving us enough information that if there are any variations or any uh, changes happening during the process, would that have an impact on the safety, purity, and efficacy of the drug? Uh, so that, that's where this uh, whole talk was focused upon. And further to add, which is very, very important, is that in uh, over now a decade, FDA has advocated for QBD approach in pharmaceutical processes. There are also ICH documentation and the uh, regulatory guidances around this, which does give us, uh, uh, as an industry, it gives us guidances to understand it and then to try implement it in the best approach to, again, to achieve the final target of achieving quality, purity, and efficacy. Just to follow up on the idea of this evolving understanding of QBD and gene therapy applications, what should companies consider before implementing a QBD strategy? So 
to understand that with the QBD, as I mentioned earlier, that the QBD relies on prior knowledge and a detailed understanding of the both product and process variables. So prior to implementation, it's more about collecting the information, generating enough information, data, analyzing it and interpreting it of the changes of that having an impact on the product. Now, how that is being approached is on a technical front is that with the QBD, we want to understand the target product profile uh, and we want to define that what is the quality target product profile, uh, which often is also short form called as QTPP, uh, which is again uh, uh, focusing on uh, specifications of the safety, purity, and efficacy of the drug product. And from these specifications is when the path will be developed further for implementing the QBD. Having said that, there has been a traditional approach also, which has been taken for uh, so many years now in the pharmaceutical drug uh, development and manufacturing, and it still holds uh, uh, equally true. But that's where the QBD is more like an uh, upgraded and modernized version of uh, implementing uh, and developing the manufacturing process. So it will be interesting and it will be helpful in future to consider the quality target product profiles, understanding the impact of parameters on the safety, uh, purity, and efficacy of the truck. To go back to your presentation, which I really enjoyed and thought it was very educational and informative, I wanted to see if we could walk through it a little bit more. In the presentation, you discussed four areas that are key to QBD in AAV products. I'd like to walk through each one with you. And if you could provide listeners an overview of each step, I think that would be really informative. The first being identification of CQAs based on QTPP and risk assessment. So uh, to start again as a summary would be uh, when we are focusing the QBD approach and implementation, the empirical view is starting with the understanding of product knowledge and the process knowledge. The product knowledge is where we focus on the QTPP and the quality critical attributes, uh, which we call it as CQAs, and they are related to the, also the risk uh, associated with it. So what CQAs is and how do we identify is depending on the drug substance or the drug product's physical, chemical, uh, biological characteristics or any related characteristics, which are eventually going to impact the quality, uh, purity, uh, activity, efficacy, and safety of the drug. And uh, along with that is what uh, gives us the idea of the impurity profiling. Uh, so the impurities present in the uh, process is uh, very impactful towards the final parameters or the targets. So is also with the product-related impurities. And if there are any adventitious agents, these are also the three categories of impurity uh, that can be profiled into, which would be product-related impurities, process-related impurities, and adventitious agents. Now, there are variations in the, of course, the impurities, especially with the upstream side versus the downstream side. Specifically focusing on the AAV process on the upstream side, there's different four processes in which there's a transfection process versus the infection. There's an adherent style versus a suspension. And then there's a mammalian cell culture type versus the insect cell cultures. So all these uh, uh, parameters and the choice 
of the method of manufacturing will have its own uh, impact on the process-related impurities and the product-related impurities. From there, we would want to do is, now that we know what our target product profile would be, we would want to also know what quality attributes would be. And once we have these quality attributes, uh, like for example, it starts with non-infectious AAVs, deamidated AAVs, empty capsids, aggregated AAVs, or if it is encapsulated host cell DNA, these are some of the attributes. But how do I know that which one are the critical ones? So for that is what we try to understand is the risk assessment. And that's, uh, again, guided by the uh, ICH guidelines, where as a process scientist or as a team, uh, what are risks associated with each of the critical attributes? And what are the uh, impact on your process and product? So these are ranked, and these risk rankings are dependent on the likelihood of the risk event that is supposed to happen. And uh, uh, if it happens, uh, what is the severity of its impact on the human health and also its level of uncertainty? So there are scores related to that. And these two parameters of the likelihoodness and severity, they are, of course, uh, they, the product of that brings us the, with the risk numbers. And that risk ranks can be given to your uh, critical quality attributes. And based on that is where the rankings will uh, identify as whether it's a quality attribute or it's also a critical quality attribute. In the presentation, you list identification of CPPs and CMAs based on risk assessment. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yes. So now that we know about the critical quality attributes, these are, again, uh, related to impurities, and they are product-related or process-related or the adventitious agents. And when we talk about process-related impurities, uh, we, we want to understand what are the process parameters along with it, uh, because each process step will have certain parameters and multiple variables related to that. For example, if it is a depth filtration or a clarification stage, I'm not only trying to remove the cells and cell debris, uh, but I'm also trying to achieve the transmission of the product to the next stage. If it is a tangential flow filtration, I'm focusing also on flux uh, to achieve my process performance, but also whether my product is intact. So I'm also considering and focusing on shear rates. So these parameters that they come in, they are, is where it has to be identified as which are the critical ones. So there is a critical process parameters is what we identify for this study and for this paper. We identified that the variables with critical effect on a critical quality attribute is, and that's what which is controlled in the manufacturing suite, we have defined as critical process parameters. And the materials which are going to impact on critical quality attributes, which will typically be controlled outside of the main suite, uh, that we have considered here as critical material attribute. So in short form, we call it CPP and CMAs. Now, these CPP and CMAs, they can be identified uh, using different strategies, primarily with uh, uh, which would be based on data trending. And that's where the data generation uh, and data analysis uh, is quite in the focus. Then it's also based on the rational. There is a scientific understanding and there's a, a certain obvious information available either through prior knowledge 
or any publications or something that has been developed during the developmental stages. And then there are, of course, the uh, based on the materials and the raw materials that they create an impact on the quality of a product. Uh, so there's based on the critical material attributes. So these strategies, once we use it to identify your uh, CPPs and CMAs, that's when the uh, next step would be is to understand further. So for example, for upstream, uh, my CPPs and the quality relations would be something you impact of virus. Plasmid quality and design of a on the AAV titer, the shear that is being used to circulate or, or aerate my bioreactor. If there are any viruses which are adventitious viruses, uh, and that is not some, uh, expected and uh, in the process, as well as they are going to have any adverse impact on my product quality or the overall productivity, then I would want to consider that as to remove viruses or not. Similarly with the downstream, if the pressures, the flux, the filter or the raisin capacities, the salt concentrations, these are some of the critical process parameters and material attributes that will impact my critical quality attributes. That's what I would want to identify and that can happen as early as we start. It could be from the preclinical stages, uh, ideally. But of course, is uh, it doesn't stop us from even starting to at phase one stages or phase two stages. So once we identify the critical quality attributes and the CPPs and CMAs related to that, as I mentioned, that the for upstream, it would be impact of virus, plasmid quality, or shear, or even virus removal filtration if it's necessary. And for downstream, it could be multiple variables, but just to pick up, for example, would be pressure, flux, filter capacity, or raising capacity, or salt concentrations. After understanding and identifying critical process parameters, the next stage would be to identify and establish the normal operating ranges and the proven acceptable ranges. And just to follow up on that, how would one go about establishing the normal operating ranges and proven acceptable ranges for this design space? This is where the significant data generation and understanding of the product and process helps at each stage of the drug development and manufacturing. So for example, if we start with the upstream, where, as I mentioned, that there will be parameters impacting my critical quality attributes. If it is plasmid quality and design, which is going to impact my AAV titer, how do I understand that? And what will be the, my type of the plasmid and its design that will impact my AAV? Or what is the concentration of the plasmid that I should be using to ensure that I achieve that much AAV titer? Or if it is downstream, Example, I'm doing a development for ultrafiltration, diafiltration step. And if my pressure ranges are intact, so if I'm using a normal operating range would be, for an example, 10 to 15 PSI. Uh, but th would that be something acceptable if there was a change in those pressures? So what happens if my manufacturing system ends up operating at 18 PSI, which is out of my range? of my normal operating range. But if I have generated enough data to create a design space where I know that what is the maximum acceptable or proven acceptable range, 
and under which there will be a normal operating range. So if there are any variations that happens during the development stage or the manufacturing stage eventually, I know how my impact would be on the product if there are changes happening. So these proven acceptable ranges are something that has been well understood. And even if the process go, uh, is operated in those ranges, uh, the impact on the product would have been not only understood, but it would have been decided based on the purpose that it would not impact uh, safety, purity, or the efficacy of the drug. Whereas the normal operating ranges would be a subset or part of proven acceptable ranges. And that would be something recommended during the tech transfer and uh, during the actual manufacturing process. Lastly, you talked about defining the control and testing strategy to ensure consistent operation. Could you elaborate a little bit on what you spoke about during your presentation? Yes. Control and testing strategy plays a very strong part in the QBD development because every data, once generated, it needs to be analyzed and interpreted. And once uh, it has the analytical uh, ranges and information developed with respect to the interpretation and understanding of your product, that's where it becomes very critical to have strong uh, control and testing strategies, which assures us uh, for the quality and safety of the product. Uh, It also assures the quality and safety for the input material through the input material control, through procedural control, and the speed control. So what would further happen is that once we have these controls, it's a complete control of what happens during the manufacturing in the manufacturing suite, as well as the materials coming from outside to the site. And this is where we want to achieve a complete understanding of the process by having a control over it. Additionally, it is important to test, which would be during the process or during the monitoring or as well as during the lot release. So these control and testing strategies are fully dependent on the product and the process parameters that has been developed in the earlier section we discussed about it. And those control and testing strategies will be scaling up in parallel along with the product and process parameters when it is uh, tech transferred and taken to the manufacturing scale. Thank you so much for walking through your presentation. Just to summarize what you've been talking about, for upstream and downstream. Would you be able to summarize kind of the key takeaways for you from the upstream and downstream production? Yes, for me, as well as for the authors of uh, the white paper that we have, uh, all of us uh, got together to generate this white paper in Paul. We do agree that the upstream production of EAV is quite well understood. And also with respect to its cell culture operating parameters, also it's uh, well understood and uh, we see our industry achieving quite uh, advances in them. And I do also see that there will be more advances uh, and sophistications going forward as we see more and more manufacturing and development happening around that. On the downstream side, there again, depending on the type of the cell culture and the process that's been developed, There will be few variations in the downstream processing, but there are still overall quite a good understanding about the downstream processing. Although there are spaces where further understanding is necessary and would be helpful. For example, on the chromatographic stages is where how chromatography step could be more efficiently developed. 
to reduce any adventitious viruses or separate the empty from full capsids in more effective and more simpler way than what we achieved now. So there's there's few steps also where further sophistication would need and further research and development would would take place. Thank you so much. For listeners, you have published a white paper, which you mentioned, which discusses this strategy in detail. And I will include a link to this paper in the show notes. This is a great place for listeners to start to learn more. But do you have any additional advice for those interested in implementing this program within their companies? Yes. Uh, I mean, more as an advice or other, I would say more like uh, ideas to share. Uh, and again, more something that we have discussed also as a summary of the white paper is that the AV manufacturer is still a new field of uh, biopharmaceuticals. Some of the design spaces I mentioned that uh, they're still not yet completely understood. So some of the steps which need additional development or uh, more uh, sophistication that can be brought into that. Uh, so there is a space to always you know, further improve and uh, expand on that. But overall, the ideas and the implementation around the QBD is something that we do have a framework supported by regulatory that can be considered to implement it. So with a strong focus on the overall development, which, which starts right from understanding the background of the product the understanding the purpose and the targets around that, understanding what process parameters and the quality attributes that will come into the play with the analytical tools, it would be very exciting to have these implement in the future. So I would recommend to consider QBD approaches uh, and uh, uh, that we are also there to help our customers if needed. Uh, but with the purpose of uh, coming out with this paper was also to talk about what QBD approaches would be and also uh, support our customers in, uh, in helping them establishing QBD strategies into their processes. Thank you so much. And I really appreciate your time and information. I think QBD is such an important topic, particularly for gene therapy as we gain more information, as you mentioned, we'll be able to implement more and more of these strategies that have become so commonplace in protein and antibody-based drug manufacturing. So thank you so much for your time today and for sharing all this valuable information with us. Thank you very much and you're welcome. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Cell Culture Dish podcast. To listen to other podcasts related to the discovery, development, and manufacture of biologics, please visit us at www.cellculturedish.com. And for downstream process topics, www.downstreamcolumn.com.